so curiosity as a as a colonial construct as a historical construct when you then superimpose that onto how curiosity is sought to be actively stifled within the mental health ecosystem you realize how little things have changed hi thanks for joining us today you're listening to choose to be curious a show all about curiosity we talk about research and theory but Mostly, it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Welcome. Come, choose to be curious with us. In his opening blog post as a then newly unemployed former contributor to the Correspondent News Service, Tanmoy describes himself as a therapy-loving, pill-popping journalist writing on the politics, economics, and culture of mental health. Almost from the start, I've thought it would be incredibly rewarding to talk with Tanmoy about the intersection of curiosity and mental health. I have long admired his transparency and candor, but it was his tweet a few weeks ago that poked at the perhaps darker corners around curiosity that persuaded me to ask him for a conversation. He wrote, there are two kinds of depression. In one, you lock the door so no one sees you. They gather outside for a bit, whisper curiously, then leave. In the other, you leave it open, wishing someone would see you. But open doors don't make anyone curious, so no one comes in. What are all the ways Tanmoy would say curiosity shows up in the context of sanity, I wondered. And so I asked him to join me. So welcome. Hi. Hi, Lynn. I'm so thrilled. Didn't imagine at the beginning of 2021 that I'd be doing a radio show for one of my uh, dearest readers. Really, really honored. So thrilled to be talking about a subject that I didn't quite consciously think about in a long while. But you're absolutely right. It underpins a lot of my own sort of philosophical wrangling with the idea of sanity. And the more I unpack what constitutes mental health, what constitutes our relationship with this very, very fraught idea of sanity, the more convinced I am that curiosity is not just a, a building block of that, of that concept. It is actually acutely political, very, very, very contested. Yeah. And just this sort of history of curiosity and who is entitled to curiosity and who is privileged enough to have curiosity, etc. All of these questions have been swarming in my head since you reached out to me about the show. So thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you. And I, you know, as we were getting ready for this, you shared with me that you've actually done some research on this topic, which I did not know, had perhaps <laughs> intuited, because I think it's clear from your writing and from your tweets, which are like... Do you think of yourself as a poet? I mean, they're like haiku. <laughs> they're they're so rich, but in all of these places, you leave these curiosity breadcrumbs. Mm -hmm. So I want to back mm -hmm. up just a little bit because we both sort of alluded kind of obliquely to me as a devoted subscriber. Full disclosure, I'm not just an admirer. I'm a subscriber to Sanity. So describe what that is and sort of what you've been up to Sure, sure. So I have been a, a pill popper for several years, but the recently unemployed part of my CV owes to the closure of the correspondent in December 2020, thanks to the pandemic. 
that was my first ever full time job as a mental health correspondent probably one of the uh, very few in the world yeah i just don't know too many of them yeah there are there are some extraordinary reporters now doing dedicated work on mental health in the us and in in some in parts of western europe but in my part of the world in india it's still largely unheard of uh, the correspondent as you know was very very different very unique fully mm-hmm. funded by readers etc so it really informed the relationships that i formed with my readers there really informed everything that i've gone on to do anyway so in december the the, the site sh- shuts down i'm suddenly jobless and i panicked i panicked because for 18 months at the correspondent we had developed this incredible community of readers in oh yeah gosh uh, 25 30 countries and i used to produce this weekly newsletter there every friday and again there was a very devoted group of readers that had coalesced around that so when the site stopped publishing my first sort of uh, instinctive re- reaction was to launch a substack newsletter which is something that every journalist was doing at that time i launched on substack in december and then within the first 100 days it went on to become one of uh, substack's top paid health related newsletters it was the only non western publication on substack's leaderboard which was which was endlessly astonishing for me i was <laughs> shocked when that happened and then uh, the work started getting recognized and I, when i say when i say it was one of substack's paid top paid newsletters uh, there is no reason to imagine that i went out and bought a mercedes or something it was really really <laughs> these things are relative you know. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, yeah the creator economy is um, 99% hype and you know uh, yeah. anyway that's a separate subject but i was very fulfilled i was very happy and i thought you know this is quite an audacious dream of building an independent 100% ad free reader funded mental health journalism platform out of india so uh, i was uh, then uh, selected for this course at the newmark school of journalism at the city university of new york that course really changed my thinking around mm-hmm. what was possible with this platform mm-hmm. so in august i finally pivoted from substack onto my own website which is built on an open source platform and today we are about a community of about 3000 subscribers around the world in about 40 plus countries although i don't track any data about my subscribers so i don't know anything you know i don't do any demographic profiling yes your website is notable in terms of reassurances that yeah <laughs> i don't yeah, know anything I, about you i'm glad you're here but i don't know yeah. anything about you <laughs> yeah i don't i don't collect any information any data so uh that's what that's what i've been up to no oh, there's just so many different ways i want to go with this i mean is it different than your other beats Yes, it is different. I think my first brush with curiosity as an intellectual construct came about 4 years ago when I was I was just telling you before we started recording that uh, at that time I had been commissioned to write a book. Mm-hmm. This was the time when I was fully immersed in business journalism. I used to work for a large international magazine's Indian franchise, heading their editorial desk, and I was writing a book on the startup boom in India. So uh, around uh-huh. you know this was the time when tech startups were really taking off in india and what i was noticing all around myself was also a curiosity boom in the general yes. population yeah and 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 in india that was largely aided by the explosive growth of mobile phones smartphones and uh, cheap internet oh, yeah. india has 
possibly the world's cheapest internet you know data rates very cheap to get access to data on your mobile phone hmm. at that time i'd coined uh, i'd coined a metric uh, if you will of why what i thought was a good measure of the uh, of our progress as society and i called it per capita curiosity <laughs> and i kind of yeah i i i remember i was i was uh, meeting the ceo of a large mobile phone company in a restaurant in bangalore which is the south indian tech hub and the ho- and home to most of the high flying startups and i was having lunch with him and uh, the waiter comes up and says very politely to the to the ceo congratulations on your latest fundraise and the ceo kind of stopped eating for a second looked at the waiter and said thank you and the whole thing went down very nonchalantly as if you know this was just another conversation that the ceo was sort of expecting to have in this restaurant mm-hmm. to me this was extraordinary because you know this it it this does does not happen never in my living memory had i seen a restaurant waiter come up to a company ceo and congratulate mm-hmm. them on fundraise and it signaled to me that we are living in a deeply deeply curious society of course that curiosity was mediated by and large by the sort of very feel good narrative of technology and you know all these billion dollar startups and unicorns and lots of money coming into these companies and and then you know the the urban landscape in india was also changing very dramatically because of this the growth of uh, these sort of tech based startups so suddenly you would see all these uh, amazon delivery executives wearing their outsize huge bags you know all these food delivery services and uber and you know a local competitor of uber so you had all these signages you know all these new hoardings so hmm. the the sort of entire urban landscape was changing and people were finding a whole different way to negotiate their relationship with the with the physical world and that was a really big inflection point i think in how curious we are, we were as as a society so that was the first time that i became truly truly curious about curiosity now that i work in mental health you're absolutely right about the acuteness with which i feel the political uh, dimension of curiosity is of a far greater magnitude compared to you know the brand of curiosity that i used to observe witness as a business journalist so talk about that difference because in the in the yeah. business world i mean curiosity is sexy curiosity is the thing that everybody needs it's the it's going to save business but i'm curious about what that transition felt like for you and with your new lens whether your own idea of curiosity has shifted over time yeah absolutely i think you know if you begin with the popular conception of mental health which is very very uh, driven by pharmacological definition of mental health overly pathologized overly simplified reduced to sort of chemicals in your brain you know the narrative that is basically a death blow to any sort of curiosity mm-hmm. because it basically that that sort of uh, dictum what it tells you is that there is nothing really for you to unpack more than the fact that your brain your neuron neuro, neurons are misfiring or you have a serotonin sort of imbalance it's so simple here take this cocktail and you will feel better or you know go see a shrink you know 
you will feel better when anything as complex as the human mind is reduced to this sort of formulaic uh, uh, interpretation what you are essentially saying is that look somewhere else you know there is nothing here to yeah. ch- to, to look uh, to look for and then you begin to question whose interest does this serve who benefits from uh, stifling curiosity in the in the arena of mental health and the answers are not uh, very difficult to surmise it's the the pharma industry the state the uh, psychiatric establishment all of these uh, parties have vested interests in keeping uh, the truth about mental health which is that mental health is a deeply intersectional intersectoral issue all of these parties have a vested interest in keep, keeping that uh, hushed up You're listening to Choose to be Curious, conversations about curiosity and work and life. I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and I'm joined today by Tan Moy, a journalist who writes about how sanity shows up in work and life, or not. I came from a career in the mental health world, and his fresh take on these old familiar stomping grounds has been a gift over the last few years. So there is that slant to the idea of curiosity in mental health the other slant is historical and uh, I, i'm reading this book it's an it's a tremendous book it is uh, author called simon jarrett and the name of the book is those they called idiots the idea of the disabled mind from 1700 to the present day um oh, wow. it's, yeah it's a new book and it's primarily based in the in the history of britain but then because Brit, because britannica sort of ruled over the whole world so uh, you know uh, simon jarrett looks at the uh, idea of idiocy in colonies in british colonies and you know how it has evolved with time and one of the things that he writes about is when all of these uh, western explorers you know pioneers were going around planting their flag all across the world they came across these local communities or you know uh, nations of people who were nothing like them and one of the things that they were very puzzled by was the lack of curiosity in these populations so you know if i could quote like two lines from this book which i have which i highlighted you know i thought this would be interesting for your listeners yeah yeah uh, so i quote from the book the puzzle for white white is one of these uh, explorers was how a member of the human species could be so absorbed alert and adroit in one area of activity and yet so ignorant incurious and indeed oblivious to all other aspects of the world around him for white the answer lay in the idiot's lack of faculty this lad exerted all his new all his few faculties in this one pursuit that one pursuit could be uh, hunting gathering you know fashioning a flute out of a piece of wood whatever there was simply insufficient capacity left to inspire curiosity learning or any sort of mental development now hmm. the reason this is absolutely pivotal to our understanding of the world is that in british jurisprudence people who were considered idiots or imbeciles their properties were bequeathed to the state to the monarch they were basically treated as the monarch's ward the monarch was responsible for their protection etc this idea was extrapolated and applied to entire nations yeah that if you are idiotic which means if you lack curiosity and why did they think that these populations lacked curiosity explorer after explorer says oh we landed on their shores with these giant ships you know these really lavish 
sort of apparatus and they paid no attention to us they didn't even notice us they went about their business they were so self absorbed and satisfied you know with for whatever they were doing they did they did not even look at us how could this be they must be really idiotic and incurious and so they extrapolated this principle of negating people their rights and individuality and applied that onto entire nations and then you see how that fueled the rise of colon- colonialism so curiosity as as a as a colonial construct as a historical construct when you then superimpose that onto how curiosity is sought to be actively stifled within the mental health ecosystem you realize how little things have changed even though we are living in the so called post colonial world wow wow so with that as a foundation holy cow you've given me so much mm-hmm. to think about here w- with that as a foundation the idea of asking questions out of care hmm. and and posing difficult questions and as you said in a tweet another one of these poetic tweets about asking difficult questions is a service by itself you're not obligated to supply all the answers to right so that simply asking the questions even if you don't have the answers especially if you don't have the answers has its value that's that's just so much more loaded mm. understanding this undergirding context. Yeah. So how do we move to a place of asking difficult questions, asking questions out of care and and making I, I don't know, maybe reclaiming curiosity is what I'm wondering. I mean it I think it it has to start from sort of early childhood you know I think entire generations have now lost their opportunity to be curious mm. without feeling apologetic about it and this is a real tragedy since you alluded to that tweet that tweet comes from a very personal space as as do most of my tweets and um uh, what I was uh, referring to is this very punitive system that we have in in schools and in homes where uh, children are taught that answering questions is more socially acceptable and will take you further in life than asking mm-hmm. questions mm-hmm. and when you are constantly trained in that line of thinking it is so easy to manipulate you to guilt trip you later in your life unless you also know the answer you should not be asking questions that asking questions is a is an immoral act uh is it, 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 it's not what good citizens do good citizens uh, supply answers not asking not ask questions this is of course intertwined with ideas of expertise you know the sort of reverential attitude that we should have towards the so called quote unquote experts that it is the job of experts to dabble in, in inquiry you know that this is a specialist pursuit not mm-hmm. for everybody so i think asking questions for the sake of asking questions that spirit has to be uh, nurtured and safeguarded you know right from uh, right from childhood education system which is supposed to be which is supposed to really fan our curiosity goes you know sort of actively stifles curiosity kills it completely so and i'm sure i'm not making uh, an original point here i'm sure a lot of your guests would have made the same point but uh, essentially the linkage between education and career and education and and jobs and employment is a very effective way of killing uh, the sort of spirit yeah. of curiosity. You know that I collect curiosity practices, right? Things that people do that 
that bring curiosity into their lives in what I hope are constructive ways. Mm -hmm. Do you have what you think of as curiosity practices? Um, truly a amazing idea, really. Curiosity practices, <laughs> collecting curiosity practices is such a striking way of communicating your pursuit. I think not consciously, but one of the things that really drives me as a mental health journalist, as a user survivor, as somebody that I hope represents the user survivor community in the in the wider world, I am extremely scared of opening my mouth and saying anything in any setting without doing my homework, mm. without doing a little bit of research and without grounding myself in, you know, theory and in uh, sort of lived experiences. Because I'm dealing with people with extreme vulnerabilities. I'm dealing yeah. with people who, you know, share their uh, rawest, most vulnerable secrets and stories with me. And that comes with so much responsibility that when I speak with them, uh, I have to prepare myself. And a, uh, the, the process of that preparation sometimes means, you know, I get so anxious that I end up like I, I, I read five books before a conversation, maybe a 10 minute conversation. But now that I'm my own boss and I don't answer to anybody except my readers, I allow myself to luxuriate. So I read. Reading is something that I sorely, sorely missed. And I have picked it up again after years. And I'm just, I'm just having a whale of a time just reading. I have to, have to, have to doff my head, uh, hat to my son. The amount that he has forced me to learn. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's, it's quite incredible when you really immerse yourself in parenting with zero expectations from the process, with the assumption that you're going to screw it up, no matter how hard you try. Uh, he's, really, uh, he's really found his way, uh, pushed me to explore, discover subjects that I would never had uh, ventured into otherwise. So yeah, that I think is my curiosity practice, just being around my son as much as possible. <laughs> well, you know, I have one yeah. more curiosity practice I'm going to invite you to do with me. Are you up Yeah. for my big jar yeah. of wannabe analogies? Yes, yes. yes. Okay. Wow, I've been waiting for it the whole time. <laughs> oh, good. So this <laughs> is my big jar. Okay. There are slips of paper inside. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take out one for you, one for me, yeah, one for comes. the audience. Okay. And we're going to make an analogy to curiosity okay. with whatever is on these slips. Yours is magic trick. How is curiosity like a magic trick? And mine is mm. popcorn. So do you want to go first? Or you want me to go? Uh, no, you lead, please. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, popcorn. Hmm. Well, um, I, I can think of two things about popcorn. One is that like curiosity, it sort of can sit there in a tight little kernel and then it will explode. So I oh, think yeah. it's wow. got this like physical dynamism that's, that's yes. comparable. But I also, I find popcorn kind of addictive. It's like you can't <laughs> eat just one. And I find curiosity is a little like that too, that once you, once you start eating it, once you start going with it, it's hard to stop. Yeah. So that's how wow. curiosity is like popcorn. How is curiosity like a magic trick? That was brutally good, masterfully good. <laughs> and now I'm so intimidated. Um, well, how is curiosity like a magic trick? Um, like, like all magic tricks, um, there really is no magic to it. It's not, um, you know, the, the whole idea of a magic trick is 
that it is it is uh, uh, this mysterious art that only those who have access to it can can master and mm. uh, i think while watching a magic trick you consciously you deliberately don't want to know what makes that trick work because you know otherwise what's the fun but curiosity in many senses i think we have to engage with it uh, with exactly the opposite spirit that anybody can anybody has uh, access to it and don't let anybody tell you that this is just something that the masters can 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 have access to um but the end result is the same i think it's just pure joy astonishment and and um, shock in some cases uh yeah that's that's what i, I could love it with. i love it i love Thank yes, you. I love this idea. <laughs> I love the idea of curiosity as magical, right? But totally accessible. Very happy that I didn't let your jar down because no, such a such an important tradition on the show. No, not at all. Not at all. And audience, you too have a turn here. Yours is duck. How is curiosity like a duck? Let me know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. And you know, go at it with the spirit of Tanmoy. I love it. I love it. That was wonderful. Thank you. Well, this this whole conversation has been wonderful. There's more connecting to be done, I think. So thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. This has been delightful, most unexpected. Thank you for having me and uh, I wish all your listeners all the curiosity in the world and may the doors never be closed on them. You've been listening to Choose to be Curious. I'm your host, Lynn Borton. Thanks for joining us today. You can find all my shows at Choose to be Curious and right here on this fine community radio station. I hope you follow me both places and on social media at Choose to be Curious, where you can share your duck analogy, hashtag analogy. Many thanks to my guest, Tan Moy. You can find his work at sanitybytanmoy.com rich, insightful, independent mental health journalism for independent minds. Links on my website. Our theme music is by Sean Ballack, and this is Mind, Body, Mind by Body Tonic via Blue Dot Sessions. I've been thinking a lot about Tanmoy's metric. What do you think would improve our per capita curiosity quotient? I hope you'll join me again next time. Until then, choose to be curious I I guess the only only addition uh, maybe worth making is what is happening in the world that we're living in now you know after the pandemic and what has the pandemic done to our relationship with curiosity and I think we've realized that when you don't get accurate information when you don't get the right answers to literally life life or death questions how deadly that can be so i think we have a real chance of appreciating curiosity as the quite literal life blood that it is